amazing. Well, we are uh, approaching a very significant holiday, and it is called Thanksgiving. So I thought it might be appropriate for us to do a series on how to be thankful. Like we have faithful kids, we could be thankful people. Now, why is this important? I wanted to get ahead of Christmas. Is it just me, or have you noticed that like Christmas gets pushed up earlier and earlier every year? If you go to Hobby Lobby or if you go to some of these places right now, it's a matter of days, maybe even hours before Christmas music starts playing. And I don't want to be the Grinch here, but come on. <laughs> How much Christmas music can you have? My worry for us is that we just go right to Christmas and we forget the thanks. So what I want to talk about is how to be thankful. And, and ironically, it's not just, well, give thanks. Why? Because you should. Does that work for you? It doesn't work for me. I need to know how to be thankful. I need to know why to be thankful. And here's the key. There's a link between contentment and thankfulness. Have you ever thought about that? The link between contentment and thankfulness. When you're content, you, maybe you've had a great meal, you're full. Oh, it is so easy to be thankful, isn't it? When you've had a I don't know, three-generation birthday party, and you just see all the family together, together, and it, it's just your content. It's so easy to be thankful. When everything is going right in a relationship and you're content, it's easy to be thankful for that relationship. But there is a world out there, there is an enemy out there that is intent on making us discontent. Why? Because they know that if we are discontent, we will cease to give thanks. And when we cease to give thanks, we cease to worship. And when we cease to worship, we break that connection with the only one who matters, with Jesus Christ himself. If I were the enemy and I saw the ship on, on the surface being tossed about and it was anchored well, I wouldn't try to affect the ship. I would try to sever the anchor. Because once I do that, it's a foregone conclusion the ship is going to be on the rocks. That's what the enemy targets, our contentment. So today I want to talk about this idea of contentment. We're going to have a series about this. The context of contentment is today. Next week we're going to talk about the process because it is a process. It doesn't just happen. Uh, I put the Xena Project in quotes. That's not to belittle them. <laughs> they are very significant. They're just not part of the thankful series, although we are thankful for them. And then finally, the focus of contentment, because if we don't keep our focus, it's super easy to drift off of that, and that anchor starts to get attacked. I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want that to happen to you. So here's why I think this is so important. As you look at the last two years, 2020, uh, I bet no one in their mind is thinking, wow, that was the year of contentment. You're with me here? Because we were thinking, oh, well, 2021 is going to be the year of contentment. It's going to be so awesome. Well, how has that been for you? 2021, the year of contentment? Not for me. I don't know about you. But I found this on a post I wanted to share. This is a question, and I just want to put it up and see your first reaction. What are your three words to describe 2021? And remember, this is G-rated. I'll tell you, when I, when I saw this on a blog post, what are my three words to describe 2021? The first one I'm not going to share with you, but the, two, the other two were disappointing and frustrating. I don't know if you have a similar reaction, but I, I didn't feel a deep sense of contentment in the last couple of years. Mostly you can blame it on COVID, but contentment isn't an outside thing. Contentment is an inside thing. 
And that's what we need to focus on this morning. So I have some issues when it comes to contentment. Maybe you're in the same boat. When I read in the Bible that it says, be content, I'm like, is that settling? Am I just like, you, it's like when your parents said, this is what you have for dinner. This is what you're going to get, and you're going to like it. Be content. That, that's kind of how that Bible passage comes across to me. It's like, you get what you get, and you're going to be happy. You will like it. That doesn't really do it for me either. So I'm, I'm a little worried about that. And the other thing I think when I, when I read in the Bible, uh, does this mean I have to take a vow of poverty? Like, be content with what you have? Like, you can never have the good stuff. You can never do great things. You can never take that trip around the world or whatever your heart's desire is. You have to be poor. Isn't that the essence of the rich young ruler? Go and sell everything you have. That's not a universal command, and that's a different sermon for a different time. Let me tell you, we can have good things, and we can still have Jesus. It's not irreconcilable. Or my greatest one is there is a fear of missing out. Have you heard of this FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out? This is a master advertising ploy. Because they want to convince you that you're going to miss out. And they want to create a fear of you missing out so that you will do whatever it is they're trying to get you to do. Our culture is a FOMO culture. It's a fear of missing out culture because you see it when you look at neighbors. Maybe it's what they're driving. Maybe it's where they're going, the trips. Uh, Maybe we're comparing kids. Oh, well, your kid's in this activity and mine's not. Uh, I don't want to miss out. I better put my kid in that activity. I'm not saying the activities are bad, but... But what's bad is that comparison that drives that, that fear of missing out. Don't be driven by fear. Be driven by hope and contentment. How do you do that? Well, that's why we're here today. We're going to look at a word. I don't often Greek out, but today is a great day to Greek out. Because when you read passages in the Bible, the the Greek word that is there has so much more meaning than the English translation. So I actually put the Greek up there. And I don't know why my parenthesis went to the next line, but it's a smiley face. That's what that is. To be contented, I'm happy, right? So this word, archaeo, uh, is to be contented, to suffice, to have enough. That's what that word means. And that's the word that we're going to read in two different passages today. I'm kind of setting the stage here for this definition. But here's the cool thing. When you read be content in the Bible, we have our American version of what that is. Here's the Greek version, though. It's to be content, it's to be suffice, but it's also to ward off. What? Yeah, to ward off. Because if I'm content in my relationship, it wards off that covetousness. It wards off that desire for that adulterous relationship. If I'm content with my family, I'm more likely to ward off workaholism maybe. Maybe that's my escape. Or other addictions that draw me from my relationship with Christ. It wards off, it defends, but it's better than that because it also means to be possessed of unfailing strength. Who here would not like to have unfailing strength when it comes to faith? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm first in line for that. But the secret is contentment. So how do we get there? Well, we're going to look at two passages, and this word appears in both of them. So when you read in the English, content, it's archaeo, and it means all that stuff. So as we set the stage for the first one, we're in Luke 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. And let me set the stage for you just a little bit. 
This is John the Baptist, and he is baptizing. He is in the middle of the highlight of his ministry. He is proclaiming repentance across the kingdom. He's telling people they need to change their ways. Now, why is he doing that? He's doing that because the people of Israel, who were supposed to be the light of the world to show the world who God is, are not so lighty. They've kind of shifted focus. They're not living what they're supposed to live. But it's more than that. Because as I read this passage, he's already kind of scolded Israel. And he's told them what their problem is and that they need to repent. And they need to produce the fruit of repentance in verses just prior to this. If you think about what that means, produce the fruit of repentance. It means I'm not producing the fruit that I should be. I need to change my roots to change my fruit. Does that make sense? So then he, he continues, and what I want to do is pay attention to who he's speaking to and what he is saying as we read verses uh, 10 through 14, Luke chapter 3. So John has been preaching. He has said, you must repent, and the crowd starts in. They say, what should we do then, the crowd asked. John the Baptist answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Did you notice who John the Baptist was talking to? He's talking to the crowd. Now, the crowd isn't all Israel. Or maybe it's a majority, but it's not all Israel. It's some outsiders. Because you have tax collectors in here. And here's the thing that fascinates me. The tax collectors, if you know anything about them, were not liked by Israel because they were working for Rome, collecting money for Rome from their own people. And the tax collectors come to Jesus and they say, what should we do? He doesn't say, stop being a tax collector. Did you notice that? He says, don't take more than you're supposed to. You have enough. Don't look at your neighbors and want more. Ward off the temptation to skim off the top. That's why people hate you. Because you're unjust. Then the soldiers ask him, well, what should we do? Don't extort money. Do you start to get the sense that there's a theme here in contentment and money? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. There's a relationship between uh, contentment and money. Now, this is the point where we have to say, is money a bad thing? No. Money is a great thing. The love of money is the problem. The great question that I always ask myself is, do I have money or does my money have me? And that's the way that you, you, you look at that properly. That, again, another sermon for another time, but he doesn't tell them to stop being soldiers. He tells them to stop extorting money, to be content, to have enough, to ward off, to possess unfailing strength. Fascinating to me that, that he doesn't uh, immediately just tell them to do something completely different. So that's the first passage. The second one is Hebrews 13, chapter 5. Chapter 13, verse 5. Again, gone one week and pff, it's out the window. All right, 13, verse 5. 
the writer of Hebrews is talking to uh, Jewish Christians, or basically the early church, or early Christians. And this is what he says. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. There's that thing again. There's that relationship between money and contentment. There's, do you have money or does your money have you? Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And if you read on, it says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can human beings do to me? There's this idea that God will provide. And if we can rest in that, we can rest assured and be content. We can ward off covetousness. We can ward off fear. We don't have to buckle in the face of a troubled economy. We don't have to be afraid of a job loss. We don't have to be afraid that there won't be enough to go around because God will provide. And as he says in his word and through his son, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will provide for you. That's the ultimate in trust. And I know that's not easy, but if we can get there, we can be content. We can possess unfailing strength. So there are basically two lessons in this, and it's not complex. This is not rocket science. Don't love money and be content. Amen, and let's go home. Are you satisfied? <laughs> no, of course not. I'm not either. So we're going to go just a little bit deeper. By the way, that is John the Baptist baptizing someone. It's not a murder scene, CSI. Anyway, all right. So um, the challenges for me, like I said earlier, I, I have some challenges when it comes to just someone telling me to be content. And the first challenge for me is, uh, is that settling. Am I just settling? You'll like what you get. It's underreaching. Am I not reaching out and getting what I, what I could? Here's the, the key. It's not saying be content with whatever's going on. It's be content in whatever's going on. Paul writes a lot about contentment, and we're going to talk about him more next week. But he's writing from a jail cell. And he's not saying be content with being in jail. He's saying be content while in jail. He still has big plans. His plan is nothing short of evangelizing the entire world. He's not content just to talk to that one Roman soldier gardening. He's got big plans. But in the meantime, this is where he is. This is his present, and he is content in this circumstances, meaning he knows that God will provide. Even in the midst of a jail cell, God is providing. And he's providing a way for Paul to do what Paul needs to do. In fact, if Paul weren't sitting in that jail cell writing, we wouldn't have probably a third of the New Testament. God knew what he was doing, and Paul was content in that, not with that. Big difference, and it makes a big difference. So it's not underreaching, it's being content with where you are and then following God's plan. The other one is this idea of overreaching for me. There's more out there. I want to experience it, or, or I want to keep up with the Joneses, or whatever you want to call it. I, maybe I just have a, a gusto for life, and I want to experience more. Uh, that's kind of the way we're wired. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, as long as we don't depart from God in the process of following whatever that is out there, that fear of missing out. It, when, whenever I hear people say, oh, you know, but there's more out there, more than God? 
Because here, here's my great, my, my greatest fear is not fear of missing out. My greatest fear is fear of missing God. Because if I do that, no matter what I experience in life, it's not going to end well for me and for those around me. So my thing is not FOMO. Mine is FOMO. That, that's not a good acronym. Fear of missing God, right? FOMO, you know, whatever. <laughs> you can work that one on your own, all right? So it's not the fear of missing God. It's the, the fear of missing out. It's the fear of missing God. Uh, Focus on the Family had a great quote on contentment that kind of frames it, what it means to be content in both past, present, and future. And it says this, contentment can be described as looking back without regret, looking at the present without envy, and looking to the future without fear. That's contentment. Where does contentment come from? Only one place, that relationship with Jesus Christ and the assurance that he will provide. That's true contentment. Anything else is a recipe for discontentment. And we need to understand that going forward. So if you're not content in God, you're not going to be content anywhere. It's going to show up in your relationships. It's going to show up in your job. It's going to show up in your school, in your activities, in every aspect of your life. If you're not content in God, You're not going to be content, truly content anywhere. You'll be okay for a while. There'll be some new bright, shiny thing that catches your attention and makes you feel satisfied, but that's going to pass. There's only one thing that does not pass. The one that says, I will be with you forever and always. That's Christ. That's true, lasting contentment. So if you don't, or excuse me, if you do know Jesus and you're not content, Maybe it's not the ship that's the problem. Maybe it's not the crew on the ship that's the problem. Maybe it's the anchor. Maybe it's time that we paused and we went below the surface, deep in prayer, and reattached the anchor to its rope. That relationship with Christ is what I'm talking about. Maybe that's something that you need to do deep in your heart. I know it's a good thing for me to do on a regular basis, and I don't do it enough. So... Anchor maintenance. That's what we're about today, if you know him. If you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and as I look around the room, I'm guessing uh, everybody that I see here does, but it's okay if you don't. I'd love to introduce you to him, and I know that there are people watching on camera today that may not know Christ. If that's you, I would love to talk to you. Send us an email. Check out our website. Let's get in touch, and let me introduce you to this one thing that will never fail you. True contentment. Why am I saying all this? Well, (laughs) because Thanksgiving is coming. You're going to spend time with family. That may or may not be a good thing. But you're going to spend time with family. And Thanksgiving is coming. But contentment may not be coming. And if contentment, true contentment, is not coming, there will be no Thanksgiving. Turn to the one who can provide true contentment. And we will experience true contentment thanksgiving. Will you pray with me, please? Yeah, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us so many reasons to be thankful. We are a people who have strayed. We have gone way beyond what you intended for us, and we continue to do so. 
And if I'm honest, uh, I, I struggle with this daily. But the grace that you provide through Jesus Christ is greater still. The grace and the provision that you give us in daily life, whether that's material things that we need or spiritual uplifting or encouragement, is beyond measure and eternal. Help us to rest in that fact, God. Help us to turn our eyes from all the shiny things in this world that promise us contentment and happiness, but then fail to deliver. Help us to set aside looking at the other person or the other circumstances that is the cause for our discontentment and help us to turn inward and fix that connection to the anchor that will hold us through any storm. Teach us true contentment so that we can experience true thanksgiving. We give you all the thanks and the praise, all the glory and the honor that you alone deserve. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.